Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So, have you heard the one about the man who calmed the world? I started to walk alone in my strange, wild territory. Those notes are inspired by him watching the mist or a butterfly. It was only mine. I felt it was my garden. It was my, my trail. A pathway of notes tapped out on keys. A trail from his fingertips to your ears. There's a kind of way that his melodies seem to transcend genre that really brings people in. Maybe you've heard it before. Or maybe you haven't. I've wondered what it is about his music that keeps me coming back again and again. So let's find out. I want to lift the lid on that grand piano and see what makes the maestro tick. There's something about that music that feels very, very hopeful. It can take you and transport you to the place it is that you want to go. Deep breath now. Sink into your seat. And experience the Ludovico Einaudi story. Episode 2. View from the Other Side. There's a saying you might have heard. It goes, you can learn a lot about a man by the company he keeps. Now, in one sense, Ludovico Einaudi keeps a lot of people company. Millions, in fact, with the music that he puts out into the world. And that does tell us something about him. But I'm wondering about the people who really know Ludovico. The collaborators he sought out over the last few decades in music. There is a room for the contemplation, a room for the mystery, a room for the poetry and the sensuality. He's like an animal, you know, you can't stop him. He's playing so hard and so loud. Oh my God, the first time I heard Ludovico and Adi. Oh my God. The people who've had front row seats to whatever it is that happens when he sits down at the piano and puts his fingers to the keys. What might they tell us about the man himself? That's what I want to find out now. All right, my name is Dr. Tumani Jebate from Mali in West Africa. I'm Kora player. Tumani is selling himself a little bit short there. He's a Grammy winner and one of the great ambassadors for Malian music. I always say that in economical way, Mali, my country, is one of the poor countries in the world. But Mali is one of the great first number one countries in the world on the culture way. In the all African continent, Mali is the heart of the culture. It's in that capacity as a champion of his country's music and culture that Tumani first encountered Ludovico. I remember when he came to the places in Mali, Bamako, where I was playing every Friday night with my band called Symmetric Orchestra. This is going back a long time now. 
to the year 2000. Back then, Ludovico is traveling around Africa, looking to learn more about the rich musical traditions there. He stood out right away in that audience in Bamako. And when Tumani heard there was a visiting maestro from Italy in his audience, he invited him on stage for an impromptu performance. We had a good time playing together, and he's really intelligent musician, open mind, also ready to experience, to do some other things with his piano. For Tumani, it was an introduction to Ludovico's music, but also to his philosophy as a player. There's a lot of piano players in the world, but it's not easy to find every day someone who's ready to travel, to come to Africa, to our countries, and also to uh, play this music. And since that time, Ludovico has kept the music of Mali close to his heart. One of the songs he heard on that trip, in particular, stayed with him for a long time. The song is called Mali Sadio. Mali is the name of Hippopotamus. And it's a love song between Hippopotamus and the humans. And one day, this Hippopotamus has been killed by the French guys, the French colonies, people, when they come. The version of Mali Saggio that you're hearing right now is one that Ludovico recorded years later with another great Malian player, Balake Sissoko. And it's a melancholic. It's if two people got to separate, it's that. But it's really deep also. It touched people, you know. It's one of my favorite songs. And I'm, I'm happy that Ludovico loved that song also. It's a really special song. It's also this track that served as the inspiration behind one of Ludovico's breakthrough statements, the album E. Gioni. And when we sit down with the maestro, he'll tell you a bit about that. But I think all this says something about the way that Ludovico moves in the world. That he can walk into a bar in a faraway place sit down at the piano, surrounded by musicians he's never met before, carry the experience forward with him into whatever comes next. That openness is something Robert Lippott can attest to. I was playing with my band to Rococo Rot in Milan, and after the show, Ludovico came with his manager and said, guys, I love the show, I want to make music with you. Robert's been a big figure in the experimental art world of Berlin for a long time now. After Ludovico introduced himself backstage at that concert in Milan, things moved quickly between the two of them. After a few months of like talking and exchanging ideas, we decided that my brother Ronald, who plays the drums, and me would work with Ludovico. He invited us to Milan to a studio to develop some tracks. Because we come from a background of experimentation and improvisation, we didn't really need any preparation, so when Ludovico invited us, we said, yeah, let's gather, let's try things out. The project that was born out of that experiment is called White Tree. You're hearing some of the music from it now. That's Ludovico on the piano, obviously, accompanied by Robert on the electronics and his brother Ronald on percussion. Within days of arriving in Milan and sketching out this music, Robert and his brother were being thrown out onto the stage with Ludovico in Palermo, Sicily, to premiere the pieces they had just created. 
So after these two days where we thought like, oh, we, we have some tracks, it's all super cool, <laughs> we like it. We had like the premiere of, of the project in this opera house. And that was insane because, it, of course, we were pretty confident of what we have done in the studio. But like presenting that directly in front of a few hundred people was something really special. This is why I wanted to hear from Robert. What was it like to walk out on stage beside Ludovico that first time? I knew that Ludovico is really into adventure and danger and risk. So I was aware that this would go wild on stage and so it did. He's like an animal, you know, you can't stop him. He's playing so hard and so loud with his piano and he never makes pauses. So throwing yourself in a situation which is unknown, it's like throwing yourself into the ocean. I really like to know my direction, but not knowing where it leads to. And I, I like also failure, but I like also success. And uh, with Ludovico, it was a super nice mix of both things, because in some shows, of course, in live shows, always something happening and uh, some things collapse or some sounds didn't appear. And sometimes it was a very important sound, but it didn't appear for some reasons. But with Ludovico, it was always like, it was never a mistake. It was always, okay, this is not coming, so we do this or we do this or we jump to a new situation. The audience in Palermo that night were treated to a different side to Ludovico. One who likes to push the piano to its outer limits and luxuriate in the racket. There was a wild applause, it was like screaming and on calls. So that's a little insight into what Ludovico's like as a performer. But over the years, Robert has also got to know Ludovico offstage. As a person, he's very open, very childlike in the sense that he's very easily attracted to things and gets easily excited about things. It's very fun and very entertaining to be with him. And I spend many times at his house in Milan and he played music with me and we had food and it was like very natural. I never had the feeling that this is Maestro ein Audi. I had a beautiful time with him. Now that Milan apartment experience is something you'll hear mentioned a few times when you talk to the people closest to Ludovico. It's the centerpiece of a very vivid memory for a man I'm giddy to call my friend, as well as when he's feeling silly enough to hire me, my occasional boss, Shane Meadows. So when I started making This Is England, I always knew that I was going to have, I suppose, the soundtrack to my life at the time. The young kid in it, Sean, was based on me when I was about 11. If you haven't seen it, This Is England is a stunning, poignant movie, a memoir of sorts about friendship and violence and the brutality of racism. It was the most personal film Shane had ever made, and he packed it to the gills with all the culture he'd grown up with in 1980s Britain. And I always knew that we'd have a banging, amazing soundtrack going back through the Trojan reggae. And I knew there was this amazing tapestry of, of wonderful music. But as I started to sort of edit it together and when I started to sort of put that together, I could get across the sense of what it was like to grow up in that time. But the thing I couldn't get across was the poignancy and the depth of some of the emotions. I couldn't use music of that time to do that job and that became apparent quite quickly. So even though Shane had been building this story in his head for years, when it came time to assemble everything that he'd filmed in the editing suite, there was a big piece of the puzzle missing. Which was something that managed to make people engage with this kid in the times where he's alone. We got to a stage with the edit where I'd got this great edit together, but there was a piece missing, you know, a very vital piece. 
and I knew it was music. And I, I must have gone two or three months of going, this film could be so much better. The hunt was on. Everywhere Shane went, he was looking for the music that would bring his film to life. And it's not like now where you've got Spotify and you can start sort of going off into the abyss and having it recommend songs from the abyss on your behalf. It was literally having to buy hard copies of things. Despite all his best efforts, Shane couldn't find that missing piece. His producers were chasing him down, wanting to see the finished cut, and he was getting increasingly stressed about the entire thing. And to make matters worse, after months stuck in the edit with no progress... He had to briefly put it on the back burner and head over to Toronto to promote the film he'd made previously, Dead Man's Shoes. So I get in this taxi and I'm going to the airport and I'm just sat in the back of the car and I just sat there and I'm starting to really feel really emotive about my past and thinking about my past and it's a very particular piece of my childhood that was very similar time period that the film was set. And then I twigged that there was a piece of music on. The guy had got classic FM on in the car And I realised this music had set me off, that this piece of music had actually transported me to somewhere without me knowing it. It had almost like snuck in and this kind of symbiotic thing had happened where I was suddenly back in this place and feeling really like I did when I was that age. And this music had done that. Now, I don't need to tell you who the composer of that piece of music was. But remember, this is back in the mid-2000s, before the age of voice notes and Shazam and all that. The song finished and they said, you know, the composer and the name of the album and it was the title track from Una Matina. But the guy in the taxi didn't have a pen, so I tried to remember the name. And so when I'm in the taxi, it's obviously Ludovico Ainaudi Una Matina, but by the time I sort of, I think I got to the airport, it had become something like, you know, Albertino Runini, and it was like, you know, the Matino. For the entire eight-hour flight to Toronto, Shane was trying to cling on to that piece of music he'd heard. He was convinced it was the key to unlocking This Is England, so when he landed, he hit the ground running. And this is a true story. So I'm in Canada, and I'm going up to desks going, I think it's called Runa Bagina. Shane spent the entire trip driving himself mad over it, asking every record store assistant he came across, but no luck. No one knew what the hell he was talking about. He was coming back to the UK, back to a frustrated edit suite, empty-handed. It was back to square one. I come back from Canada and I feel like this piece of music is lost forever. I can't vaguely remember the name. And the same taxi driver picks me up and the exact same song comes on the radio when we're driving back. Now, I am not one to get too caught up in words like fate and destiny and all that, but that is one hell of a coincidence, isn't it? And the cherry on top was that this time, the taxi driver was better prepared for his passenger's epiphany. And he had a pen and a piece of paper, and I wrote it down, and I made him drive me to HMV in Burton-on-Trent, and I bought the album. From that moment, things began to fall into place very quickly. I bought the record, I go home, I play the record, find this tune, and I, and I put a tape on. I've got like a VHS of the player, and I put it on at this bit where he first starts to investigate around the seaside, and he's eating these old 80s sweets, and I'm playing it alongside it, just from a stereo in the, in the back of the room, and I was like, oh my good God, I've found it. So, now that he'd found the music he needed, all that was left to do was convince Ludovico to join him. Shane's producer got to work and started making calls. Two weeks later, I got off a plane in Milan 
went into Ludovico's flat. I'd sent him a cut. I'd laid some of his music over the cut by then and had sent it out to him on VHS. We had a, an espresso and he sat at the piano and had written some pieces for the film already. And I stood next to him in his flat and he played on his piano to the images that were on the screen. And what wasn't a film became a film and became the film that, that everyone now knows and sees. Now, a moment like that, for a filmmaker like Shane, those just don't come around too often. He was pretty much floored by it. I'll be honest, I cried. I stood next to the piano and Ludovico's music has this ability to just kind of shut down whatever my brain was doing and transport me to somewhere else. It just has that ability. And that's what it did to me the first day I heard it. It took me to a place that meant something very deep to me. But when you stood next to that and you actually see the way that he gracefully touched the keys, when you actually see the way, it's like a living and breathing relationship. And I cried. If you've seen the movie, you'll know that Shane's not overstating the importance of all this. The music that he heard that day is just meant to be part of This Is England. It's as much a character in the film as the actors are. And another part of the reason Shane cried that day, well, it was also just relief. It had been such a slog to get to that moment. No matter who you are, your confidence gets knocked if you can't achieve what you set out to achieve. And after two or three months of saying, I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there, and you do start to lose faith in yourself. And so when you meet this person whose music you adore, you know, because you don't know whether that person's going to turn around and go, I don't want to be involved because of the racism angle or whatever it was, um, he saw exactly why I knew that that partnership between that young boy and his music was meant to be in that film. The most gratifying thing for Shane was seeing the film anew through Ludovico's eyes in that flat in Milan and realising just how exceptional the partnership they were building was. He had the same energy for me. He felt like it needed to be part of the film and that me and him meeting was, was kind of meant to happen in the same way that I did. Now, for anyone who worked on This Is England over the years, myself included, I think we'd all agree that there is a powerful, instinctive connection between the images that Shane put up on the screen and the notes that Ludovico played on the piano. You watch that film and it has all the vividness of a real lived-in memory, the experiences of a boy growing up in a difficult place, desperately seeking out the things that might give it all a bit of meaning. Ludovico's soundtrack is nothing short of essential in that vividness. And I think it's fair to say that audiences agreed. This Is England became one of the defining collaborations of Ludovico's career, and it introduced his music to a load of new listeners. But the thing is, that alchemy, that special relationship between image and sound, it's something that plenty of other filmmakers have found in Ludovico's work since. And each one of them has felt a version of that eureka moment that Shane just talked about. Uh, you hear me? Everything is okay? So this lovely young man is called Eric Toledano. I'm trying to, it has to be fluent in English, but I didn't speak English the last day, so I need some few minutes to, like, you know, it's like a motor, it's like a, a, a car. I has to start slowly and it's going to come, okay? Eric Toledano, along with his partner in crime, Olivier Nakash, has directed plenty of big blockbuster hits in France. 
Their movie, The Untouchables, actually became the most viewed French film of all time after it was released in 2011. But before it was a big runaway hit, it was, like all movies, just an idea. Scripts to be written, a vision to be formed. And what you'll find, for a lot of creative types like Eric, is that the right soundtrack for that gestation period is crucial. I was especially listening the music of the movie of Peter Greenaway. And uh, when you are in a platform, for example, uh, Spotify, they suggest you, if you like, for example, this music of Peter Greenaway, of this movie, you can also like, and they suggest me, Ludovico Enodi. I know, I know. An intervention not quite as divine as Shane's taxicab epiphany. But the effect was similar. We were working on the screenplay of The Untouchables, and suddenly we had a discussion and said uh, each other, it's very pure, it's very simple, it's only piano, but the emotion is very, very high. In other words, the music seemed to harmonise with the story they wanted to tell, of a budding friendship between a wealthy quadriplegic man and his immigrant carer. They wanted a piece of music that was pure and simple, something to reflect the innocence of the relationship that would blossom on screen. And we found especially one title very, very powerful. It was Fly. Fly was directly associated to the screenplay of Untouchables. Each time that I was reading once again the screenplay, to correct it, to adjust it, I used to put in my ears the music of Fly. Cut to a few months down the line and the Untouchables is in the can. We were in the edit room and the editor, Dorian, uh, asked us, as usual, have you a reference to, to give me to try the edit? And we gave him uh, the piece Fly and Una Matina and suddenly it was fitting completely. So we get further on the edit, almost at the end, and suddenly we, we realized, Olivier and I, that it will be very complicated to take off this music and to find someone to create a new music because we we were attached, we attached the music with the screenplay, now with the images, with the scene. So in a way, this is kind of the reverse of the situation that Shane went through. For him, Ludovico's music arrived at the last possible moment and helped focus his vision. But for Eric and Olivier, the music had been baked into the idea from conception. And it was becoming increasingly obvious that they couldn't just remove it now at the final stage. So we asked how we can we contact uh, Ludovico, and um, they found uh, the contact in Milano, and we had a call, and we we asked him, "Are you interested to create or, or to collaborate for a, for a score or for music or for a film?" And he said. Unfortunately, I have no time. He was uh, very kind, but clearly not interested. Which is, let's face it, a bit of a spanner in the works at this stage of proceedings. But Eric and Olivier wouldn't give up just like that. We decided to ask him just uh, one favour. Can we take a fly <laughs> to go to Milano just uh, for our lunch? We come from, from Paris. On the morning, we had a lunch and we go back just to try to to tell you what we feel exactly about your music. And he said, OK, no problem. I can have a lunch with you. So, one last shot to make Ludovico understand just how important his music was to their whole endeavour. So we, we went with Olivier and we told him, you can say no, we are totally associated. This movie and your music are married now. 
we can have a divorce. Pretty forthright. Not giving him much wriggle room, but it's a good pitch, isn't it? Ludovico agreed to see the film and make up his mind, but that was no simple matter. The movie was not uh, completely ready, and we had no subtitles, and Ludovico doesn't speak French. We don't speak Italian. We decided to come back with the movie, and we showed him the movie, translating in live the movie in English, and we can say that the first guy in the world who saw the movie out of the editor, Olivier and I, was Ludovico. So it was totally extraordinary because we were completely in the doubt and we didn't know if the movie was good or not good. On this little apartment of Milano, you had three persons, Ludovico, Olivier and I, and we were translating the idea of the movie. So, did it work? He liked the movie and he said, you're right, this music is totally fitting with your movie, so we're gonna figure out. And he asked only one thing, to record with a special piano and to adapt the fly, because we had to adjust the melody and, and uh, all the spaces that we need. And he had to play it again for the movie. And uh, it was the start of the, our collaboration. See, I told you that apartment in Milan comes up time and time again. By all accounts, it's a place where magical things happen. First time, it was always a pleasure to go in Milano and to eat some pasta with him because he knows the better restaurant in, in Milano. And secondly, the time that we were working, it was always a very big emotion to hear him playing in live the pieces of Fly or Una Matina or the others. And I think that we can say that we start also a, a friendship between, between three of us. That friendship has given Eric some good perspective on what it is that makes Ludovico tick. I think he's very sensitive. I think he's, he's listening so much about the feeling that, and he's totally, he has no ego. I know that he was an artist, uh, and such a big artist before to know us. And I always uh, felt uh, with Olivier that he was uh, working for us and for the movie. And it was very comfortable for us to be uh, with this kind of musician and to feel him completely on the service of the movie. Now, when Eric looks back on what they created together, it's a reminder to him of all the things he loves about making films. It's like a puzzle. You feel something to express when you direct a movie. You try to express deeply what you feel. And Ludovico was exactly the piece we missed to be complete. Even today, when the two or three notes of Fly or Una Matina are starting, I think that I always feel the same um, feeling inside of me, that it's, it's like uh, our wedding between images and music. And I always felt, that the first time that I, I heard this music, that it was music for cinema. It was music which tells you a story. Shane Meadows and Eric Toledano are two of the earliest filmmakers to recognise that quality in Ludovico and to put it to use on the big screen. But after those films came out, Ludovico was inundated with offers. Still, his approach remained the same. He only wanted to work on what he wanted to work on, which means no matter who you are, you'll have to make Ludovico understand why his music plays a part in whatever it is you're making. I can't really, can't overstate <laughs> the importance of music to film because it's impossible 
to do that. Just in case you don't recognise it, that's the voice of Russell Crowe. Russell has spent decades in front of the camera, and over that time he's developed some very strong beliefs about the role that music plays in cinema. The ability to have that soundtrack, that music, quite often is the very thing that takes something special into a different kind of realm, which just means that it gets blazoned into our hearts or into our heads. So when it came time for Russell to direct his first film, The Water Diviner, set in Gallipoli after World War I, he had some pretty firm ideas about the role music would play in the whole process. It was never meant to be an afterthought. When I was directing The Water Diviner, I had a, a setup with the sound department that they had a little PA system so I could play music on location. So we might be in the battlefields or whatever it is that would happen to be. And, you know, you're between setups. You want to keep the crew focused on what they're doing, but you also want to keep the actors in the mood, you know. So I was using music a lot on the set just to sort of keep the goosebumps sort of stuff on, on people's skin. The music he chose for that purpose? Ludovico, of course. If you're out in a battlefield set at night and there's fires going and sort of smoke machines and between setups some music is playing so when you're looking across that vista of things and damage and dead bodies and craters and all that sort of stuff and that music's playing it makes you feel like you're actually inside the movie. The thing is Russell knew that Ludovico's music could have that goosebump effect because he'd felt that the first time he ever heard a piece from the maestro. Oh, my God, the first time I heard Ludovico and Adi. Oh, my God. I had a very good friend who was uh, a businessman in Australia, and uh, he'd built a massive fortune, and then the global financial crisis came along, and, and he took a couple of left steps, and he ended up losing quite a substantial amount of money. But he carried on, and... Uh, he kept his uh, family's head above water and stuff, but I think he was weighed down by that situation. Sadly, this friend passed away not long after, and Russell attended the funeral. His son knew how much his father loved Divinere, and he learnt it and played it at his father's funeral. That's the first time I heard Ludovico Einaudi. You can understand why that music stayed with him and why Ludovico was first on Russell's list when it came time to direct The Water Diviner. I reached out to him while I was in Cannes and I was lucky enough to be staying on what you could only describe as a big-ass boat. Russell's talking about the Cannes Film Festival. He was there to show footage from his film to potential buyers and he thought he might be able to meet up with the maestro while he was at it. I was looking for Ludovico because I thought I might scoot to wherever he was and it just so happened to be that he was close by. He'd done a concert somewhere. Anyway, it was close enough for him to suggest, look, why don't I swing by can and we can have a chat. So our first conversation, our meeting that we had was on this big-ass boat. Finally, we get a meeting that takes place somewhere other than that apartment in Milan. <laughs> but it turns out that even on a big-ass boat, Ludovico was true to form. Uh, he was just a lovely chap. We had the greatest conversation, you know. And I was so full of compliments because 
at that stage, you know, I'd probably been listening to him three, four years, five years, something like that. So I was quite full of the tracks that I wanted to use as well, you know, and I was able to show him how his music fitted with the movie. And I think that's why he um, decided he definitely wanted to be part of it, you know, so he created something individual and special just for that movie. It's interesting to hear Russell talk about this stuff because this is a man who spent his life on the screen. He knows a thing or two about what works and what doesn't. And as far as he's concerned, with Ludovico, it all comes down to one thing. There's space in Ludovico's music and his melodies. You know, because some people would jump on the word, like, simple, you know, or something along those lines. But that is, it's a deceptive word because it can imply a lack of complexity, but that's not necessarily true at all. What Ludovico gives you, what his music gives you, is space. And it can take you and transport you to, you know, whatever the, the place it is that you want to go because the music itself is space. So now we're getting to the core of the matter, I think. That idea of space, a little bit of breathing room to explore what you need to. All of that is worth its weight in gold to a filmmaker. I think I am very touched by the simplicity of his music. I think it's very hard to be that simple. And there is a room for the contemplation, a room for the mystery, a room for the poetry and the sensuality. And I think it's uh, something very rare to be able to explore all those territories without being precise, just being in the air like that. This year, you're likely to hear even more of Ludovico's music in the ether because he's soundtracked two of the most critically acclaimed films around. One of them is directed by this man. So I'm Florian Zeller. I have directed The Father, which is my first feature film. And I had the opportunity to work with Ludovico Einodi for that film because he composed the music for that film. The Father, about a man struggling with dementia, is a devastatingly moving drama starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Colman and featuring, of course, the music of Ludovico Einaudi. I'm sure the story of how Florian came to work with Ludovico will, by now, be familiar to you. I remember when I was working on the film, The Father, at the same moment I discovered Seven Days Walking, and I started to listen to it every day, you know, and it became part of the process of making that film without being aware that I would love him to, to compose the music for that film, you know. I remember when I was going every day to the, to the editing room in the taxi, I was listening to his music, you know, so it, it came to me in a strange way, you know, and the moment came when I was like, but this is the music of, of the film I'm working on. As luck would have it, at that exact time, Florian got the chance to go and experience some of Ludovico's music out in the wild. At that time, he was supposed to, to do a concert in Paris, and I went to see him at this concert. And, you know, I love music, and music is, is something important in my life, and I'm I often go to concert, but I have to say that this specific concert was one of the most powerful musical moments I've ever attended. 
So I was really, really, at that moment, I was really uh, touched by him and his music. You know the next steps. Florian reached out to Ludovico and found that, despite his status, he was an altogether approachable guy. I discovered that he was a very open man, you know, open heart, open mind, and that it would be probably very easy to work with him. And this is what happened, actually. The, the whole process and the whole work was really easy and full of simplicity, joy and pleasure. So what does that process actually look like then? Long conversations about the meaning of a scene, endless back and forth about the placement of a note? You don't have to go through words with him, I guess. It's not a lot about conversation. It's not a lot about talking, talking. It's just emotions, feeling. The most important things with him, I feel, are not in words. So he came to Paris to, to meet with me after that concert and we, we take a day together in the edit room and uh, we watch the film together. He questioned me for specific moments and then he said, okay, I'm going to come back to Italy and I'm going to work on it. And he sent me a proposition and it was the beginning of a conversation. But it was not a conversation with words again, it's a conversation about the music and it was very easy and and it was very quick in a way because it was easy you know i mean in in few weeks it was done and in my opinion it was exactly what i wanted to do the father has been with florian for a long time he adapted it from his own play and has been working on it in some form or other for the best part of a decade now it's the definition of a passion project something he's poured his heart and soul into what he wanted from Ludovico in this film that meant so much to him sounds deceptively simple. It's a small composition for that film, meaning that the reason why I really wanted to work with him is the way he used violins, and I wanted to have like a violin, like a golden thread throughout the film. So it was a very delicate composition, in a way almost nothing. And I think he's the master of that territory almost nothing because when there is almost nothing but with so so much sensuality mystery it's it's something huge and um, what it gave to the film was exactly what I was hoping for that contribution that almost nothing you can't ask that of every composer let's be honest a big ego wouldn't allow it but that's not the case with Ludovico yeah I think he's a great collaborator he brings no ego and this is something very important I think I mean the word for that is humility you know he is very humble and in my opinion this is the signature of the greatest he's not here to serve himself you know he's here to serve something bigger than himself the emotions the story the characters the other film that Ludovico is serving this year is Nomadland it's another big contender for award season this year, and another reason that Ludovico's name is out in the ether. Nomadland stars Frances McDormand as Fern, a woman who loses her home in the recession and wanders through the American West encountering people and nature along the way. It's directed by Chloe Zhao, and she sees it as a kind of conversation between Fern and the natural world that she's travelling through. She was looking for a soundtrack that could enhance that conversation, something that could help connect her protagonist to nature which is how she stumbled across Ludovico Einaudi. The first time I heard his music was when I went online and to search for classical music inspired by nature. And I came 
across a YouTube video of his allergy for the Arctic. It's a video where he played the piano on a floating platform in the Arctic Sea. And it really was one of the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Now, maybe you've seen this video. It's a collaboration between Ludovico and Greenpeace, a joint call for action on the climate crisis in the form of a very moving live performance. It's just the piano. And as he was playing, the mountains of ice behind him started to fall. And the sound of the vibration of the falling ice and the water and his singular piano. There was something so extraordinary um, that I thought, oh my God, <laughs> this music blends beautifully with nature. From there, Chloe kept on exploring. And then I started listening to Seven Days Walking. And I was so amazed by just how similar I felt he was walking in the Alps when uh, he was inspired by the Alps and by his walks. And he wrote these songs, but I almost feel like he and Fern, who was walking in the Badlands in the American West, they were walking in parallel. You know, for some reason, they share something in common, is their connection with nature. So from that, I knew that his music would fit perfectly with our movie. Soon after, the two of them began conversing through video calls from their separate corners of the globe during the pandemic. He's, as I imagine, someone who's just so connected, someone who just has a, a really peaceful presence about him. You know, I can talk to him for a long time. I feel very calm. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't mind me saying this. Like Towards the end, we were talking about being stuck at home and he was sitting in his I'm not sure what room is but it has big windows and and there were sunlight coming in and created all these shadows behind him and he was talking about how even just walking uh, in the space behind his house and he's starting to notice the shadows that the trees created is different every day and some of the things that that you don't notice before uh, because you can go a lot further but now He's paying more attention to the world close to home. You know, after that, I, I started looking in my backyard and trying to think the way he did. Ludovico told Chloe about the world he inhabited while he was creating the music that had spoken to her so loudly. And it only confirmed that connection she felt between his compositions and her film. Those notes are inspired by him watching the mist passing through or a butterfly. And I wanted the music to feel like an inner dialogue that Fern has with herself. You know, this one woman's inner journey. And, and she was someone who lived in the house most of her lives, right, uh, behind the white picket fence. And then, and then one day she lost everything and she is forced to, to live in an environment where she cannot deny the elements of nature. And so I feel like his music almost becomes an inner voice of Fern. So in this silent moment, as she's going through all these different landscapes, and it's as if she's talking to us and making us understand how she has changed through a year of time. That Chloe was able to find a piece of music able to do that job without commissioning something new is pretty miraculous, really. There's a lot of things we didn't predict when we set out to make the film, and there's a lot of things that happened that were unexpected. It's rough around the edges like that. And there's something quite unique about then putting music over that isn't completely tailored to fit. 
perfectly. There's something about somebody else that has experienced something themselves, completely separate from the film. Another human experience someone had, they inspired them to write a piece of music that shares a universal thing that they have in common with what we ended up doing like years later in a whole different part of the world. And then when you put these two together, when they fit, it, it somehow speaks something more universally. Chloe Zhao's journey with Ludovico took her to strange, unexpected places at a time where exploration seemed to be off the table. It all began with that performance. A video of a stranger playing piano on a platform of ice. A chance encounter on the internet. And now, when she hears those first few notes of Elegy for the Arctic, it reminds her of how much she still has to experience. I guess I wish I was there. I, I wish I was on a boat with the camera <laughs> next to his floating platform where he was playing the piano. I wish I could feel the cold and the gusts of wind that you feel once the chunks of ice are falling and the splash of the icy water and, and then watching this human being performing a piece of piano music that echoed against the wall of the mountains of ice. And, and I wish I was there. That kind of experience is what you hope for when you try to create art. You know, it's that kind of experience that you want to have in your life. You've heard from the filmmakers who have brought Ludovico Einaudi to big screens all over the world. You've listened to the musicians who commune with him on stage in front of audiences of thousands. You know about the ways his music has traveled far and wide, how it's touched the lives of countless strangers in ways big and small. So, the only thing left to find out is what he makes of all this. It's incredibly beautiful and rewarding as an artist to hear that. At the same time, I want to keep my soul pure and clean from all that. Where does the maestro take his inspiration from? In the night, I was listening to the sound of elephants and lions. What has shaped him in life and art? In a way, I felt uh, more alone, but I felt uh, that I was doing uh, something uh, right. And where does he locate the sense of peace and calm that so many others find in his music? In that sense, I like to go deep in what I do and to create things that are precious. I think this is also the secret, uh, maybe, of the interaction that I create with, with the others. Join me and the maestro for the final part of Experience, the Ludovico Einaudi story. Experience is a cup and nuzzle production. It's presented by me, Joe Dempsey, and produced by Frank Palmer. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.